Well, good morning and welcome one more time to Encounter Church online and Encounter Church in person. It is good to be worshiping here again together this way. Um, We're in a series right now called In My Feelings and What to Do About It. And throughout this series, what we're talking about is jumping into our emotions. We're talking about spiritual uh, depression, anger. We talked about envy last week. Today is a heavy one. Today we talk about shame. And so what I want to do is remind us as a community, if maybe you're watching online, that... um, that we are, uh, we are called as followers of Jesus not only to be blessed, but to be a blessing. And so if you know somebody who needs to be freed from this thing, from this thing called shame, go ahead and hit the like button, hit the share button, share this message, because you don't know, you don't know how God is gonna work through his powerful reading of his word today, is that you might know somebody whose life is headed like right into a wall, and, and something that they hear today could save them from just smashing into it and preventing those decisions from being made today. All right, so what we're doing, like I said, we're talking about shame. I also want to remind us, especially if you're in the community here in the room or watching online, that behind the uh, prayer banner over there, we have, uh, we have a computer set up with a Zoom call to somebody who wants to pray for you. Now, it's one at a time. The link is going to be in the comment section below. Anytime you want to pray with somebody, we have somebody standing by to pray over the screen there uh, with you, directly for you today. Um, we're talking about shame today. And what I thought I'd do is to like mention and to share the fact that like we all experience this emotion at some point or another. For some reason, I think maybe middle schoolers probably feel it like so much more. Like how many of us have had the experience? You don't have to show your hand. How many of us have had the experience of like embarrassingly called teacher mom at some point in school? And it's just like, oh, what happens in that moment? You just want to run away. You just want to disappear like gone. That's it. I just want to melt in just a little puddle and be forgotten about. That's the only thing that I can hope for. You know, for me, when I was um, when I was 16 years old, I grew up in a um, in, in kind of a kind of a man's town, right, Hudsonville, a little little west of here. And, and and turning 16 wasn't just like another birthday. Turning 16 was a rite of passage. It was like when boys become men, right? You got your driver's license, and it was like freedom, just in like little car to form, right? Like like you have arrived. And so it was such a big deal to all my friends, and I was a little younger, so that I was the last person to get my license in my friend group, but when I finally got it, oh man, oh man, did I try to every way, try to like screw everything up beyond my control. I was just like sharing some of these stories with some friends earlier this week that that I just couldn't help as a 16-year-old driver to drive my car into everything around me all the time. So you just, you have to know that like the guy on stage right now, like when he was 16, was just drive, not my car, my parents' car, borrowed cars, everything, just into other cars, into trees, into bushes. It was bad. I mean, it got to the point where like, People just wouldn't let me drive their cars anymore. My parents included, like, hey, man, why don't you just sit this one out, champ? I get it. When I was 16, I tried to, like, dart across five lanes of traffic, which is, you know, fine, other than the fact that I was trying to get into a church parking lot and and cut through, so, like, on private property, so that wasn't okay. But also, I didn't look both ways before crossing the road, right? And so the car drives me, thinking goodness, nobody was ever hurt in any of these accidents, just my dignity, that, that took the biggest toll. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was 16, I tried to like, like turn, this one happened in Indiana, so like across state lines, like turn in front, turn in front of another car, sideswiped, it was in my parents' minivan, so that door was all messed up. I mean, one time I was 16, I was in the driveway with some friends, and I was driving, it was my car, and I didn't wait for everybody to get into the vehicle. I just started backing up, and my friend's like, whoa, whoa, dude, dude, my door, his door, my door, my passenger door was open, like 
and it caught a bush and bent 70 degrees the wrong direction. I mean, it was bad. Every time in that car, I took a left-hand turn, the dome light would come on and like the door, a jar bell would start to ring, just reminding me of what? Reminding me of my shame, right? That I, it's not just like I drove into things a lot, it's that I was a bad driver. Now, some of you have had these experiences that shame makes you want to run away, wants to make you hide, right? Like I said, calling teacher mom, that's like a kind of a shame thing. It like sticks on you. Sometimes they kind of escalate up from there, but it's all like that same emotion. And so what I want to do this morning as we head into this is draw a little distinction. Because sometimes we think that guilt is the same thing as shame. It's just shame is like a lot more of it. And I want to say they're actually different emotions that we're dealing with. So we're going to talk about shame today. Uh, the difference is that it's a, it's a distinction between a, a what and a who. So for example, guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am something bad. And listen, it's not, it doesn't have to be anything that you do or don't do for shame to start to like stick on you. Some of those profound experiences of, of just of toxic shame come at the hands of other people. When, when we hear about things like, like emotional or physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse, the, the words that are cast at you, they like start to find a place like deep down in your soul. It's not anything that you did wrong, but like when it sticks on the who, like it does like that, listen, that shame, through no fault of your own, it sticks. Uh, th- that shame could be something just way outside of your control even. You know, you think about a kind of shame that might come from a a disability or a disfigurement, the shame that comes uh, sometimes from infertility, not being able to have children. It's like you can do, there is nothing wrong with your who, but but it it sticks. And it doesn't just just stick, it's not just inconvenient. It, It grows and it blossoms up from there. And so shame starts to turn into other things as we try to like deal with it and it comes out in all these nasty ways. So just a couple of them I have written down, just nasty ways we try to deal with them with hopeless perfectionism. Of just trying to do better, trying to be better because like the bar is up here. I have to be perfect all the time and you never will and it'll just keep that spiral, that shame spiral going, harsh criticism towards others, also to yourself. Anybody ever heard that expression like hurt people hurt people? That's where that comes from. We try to deal with shame, and it ends up leading into hopeless feelings. She's, she's never going to go out with me. He's never going to go out with me. Why would I even think I could get that promotion? Uh, everything always bad happens to me all the time, never anything good, and it would just spiral into hopelessness. My friends, shame tells us that I am defective. I am damaged. I am disgusting. I am weak. I am worthless. I am unwanted. Where do we go? from here. So Jesus tells this story, and it's actually two stories, kind of wrapped up almost as one. Uh, Let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 starts off, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 8 starts off here in verse 40. It says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, and for they're all expecting him, 41, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Okay, uh, Jairus is named. He's a synagogue leader. He's a religious authority. He comes. He falls at Jesus' feet. He uh, pleads with him. 
interesting to note in the culture, uh, grown men, especially religious leaders, do not just fall over themselves in the presence of somebody else. This kind of thing doesn't happen. Uh, grown men, religious leaders, they don't run, even they mosey, they walk, they have stayed emotions. They've earned that dignity of moving slowly. He runs and he falls on his face in front of Jesus. There must be something dramatically wrong. You're right, verse 42. Why? Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And Jesus was on his way, as Jesus now, was on his way a new story, the crowds almost crushed him, 43. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Uh, some early listeners of the story, Jesus, I thought we were talking about synagogue leader. I thought we were talking about Jairus. Luke is like, you know, we're gonna get there. But I, just, I have to hear, I have to have you listen to this other one too. Is while he's on the road, presumably to go help and heal the 12-year-old little girl who's sick, he meets this woman. Luke says she's bleeding. That's a nice, that's a polite way of saying she's got this unending menstrual cycle system. It, it's, listen, what's not mentioned is that there's probably like severe and chronic pain that comes along with it. It's not just that though. Is that for somebody to be bleeding, it, it doesn't matter how, they'd be ceremonially un, unclean. They're barred from, from going to church. They're they're barred from being around people. How long is this going on? Lucas tells us 12 years. 12 years she hasn't been in church. 12 years since somebody put their arms around her and gave her a hug. They couldn't touch her. 12 years since somebody put a hand on her shoulder and prayed for her. 12 years of, dare I say, quarantine. 12 years, just her, nobody else. She's on the outside looking in. This thing just goes on and on and on. I, I want us to see, like, Luke is telling us this story. He's a physician, by the way, a medical doctor. And, and, and he paid special attention to the healing miracles in the Bible, uh, I think because he was just fascinated by them. And he says, no one, no one can heal her. They just, they throw money, her family throws some money at. There is no relief in sight after 12 long years. Luke is also an intelligent person. And I think he's not just getting distracted by telling this other story about this woman. And like, you know, we'll get back to Jairus, but like, no, 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 I think he's doing this on purpose. He wants us to compare and contrast them. What he wants us to do is to say, look at Jairus. He's a synagogue, he's a religious leader. Also, by the way, he's religious. He's respected in the community, and he has a name. The woman in the story remains unnamed. She's not a leader in the community. She's an outcast. She's not religious. She can't be. She's barred from religious ceremonies or festivals. She's irreligious. She's not respected in the community. She's looked down upon. Listen, these two people are looking at life from the opposite ends of the spectrum, but I love this. They both need the same thing, don't they? They're both clamoring, they're both squeezing in to make their way to Jesus. That is the effect that our Savior has on people, no matter where we are, no matter who you come from. We all need the same thing, making our way to Jesus. Someone said, um, in looking at this story, what prevents them from making their way to Jesus, these are opposite things. For Jairus, it's his pride that keeps him away. I have it together, I am good, I don't need help. We think about things um, in life often as like three. Um, 
three things that rock our world, maybe more than anything else. It's usually uh, things that uh, knock us off, things that make us reevaluate life. It's usually a financial thing, uh, job loss or a surprise note from the IRS. Uh, financial thing, a relational thing, a marriage that's dissolving, a kid that has gone estranged, or a medical thing, a health thing, uh, the loss of a loved one or loss of, of personal health. Unfortunately, the pandemic that we're in, a lot of us know people or we ourselves are, are experiencing like all three of those things and it's like knocking us out. It knocked Jairus out when his 12-year-old little girl gets sick. It, it knocks him on his back. And what one person said about that, I love this. He says, listen, at least when you're knocked out on your back looking up, at least you're now pointed in the right direction. I just, I, it's a little bit of a deviation, but I wonder if like God isn't doing that with some of us right now. He's knocking us on our back. I know a lot of people who started the year in January with these like 2020, you know, vision campaigns of clarity, you know, in the church and outside. That was January. Now it's August and it's like 2020 vision, right? Seeing clearly, how, how did that turn out? And I just wonder if it's God like, like looking at us going, okay, honestly, you're seeing probably more clearly now than you've ever seen before. You know, and that's what it took is like this, this rattling. But the woman, she like sees Jesus. It's not her pride that keeps her from Jesus. It's her shame. She's not supposed to be there in the crowd. So what does she do? Um, Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Why'd she do it? Why'd she come up? By the way, that touch there, the word means not just like, 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 you know, poke or something like that. She didn't want like a little bit of Jesus' power. The word touched is like she went up, she grabbed the corner of his robe and she tugged on it. She rang it like a bell and her miracle came out. I love that picture. It's such a picture of faith, isn't it? Why did she touch it? There's a legend that was going around in that time that the Messiah, that Jesus, people started claiming Jesus was, that there was actually healing in the corners of his robe. That comes from Old Testament prophecy, Malachi 4, verse 2. It's also our song, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Verse 3, look it up later. It's cool. Uh, The son of righteousness, hail the son of righteousness, he'll rise with healing in his wings. The wings, the word there, kanaf in Hebrew, that language, it means corners. And so they said, listen, when the Messiah comes, there's gonna be healing in the corners of his robe. And the woman is like, if only I could grab it and ring it like a bell, my miracle will come out. And she wasn't wrong. Verse 45, who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. There's like people everywhere, Jesus. What do you mean? Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Why does he ask? He's not asking because he doesn't know. I walk down in the morning after my kids have woken up and I, and I see like Pop-Tart wrappers all around. I'll go into the living room. They're watching cartoons together adorably. And I'm going, who ate all the Pop-Tarts? And one of them has like, like frosting all over his face. <laughs> I, I'm not curious, right? Who, who, I'm giving him an opportunity to respond. Jesus is giving her an opportunity to respond because he knows. He knows what she needs is more than a physical healing. What she needs is more than just a miracle. The, the miracle under the miracle is a restoration into a community. And for that to happen, she needs, in the words of Brene Brown, she needs to have her story told. Who touched me? Verse 47, then the 
woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why that she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She had her story told. Something that a lot of us don't like pick up on. Because maybe you've heard this story before or, or maybe you just know the, the, the power of Jesus. It, is that the confusion is sometimes lost on us because we, we know how the story ends. I would argue when the story was first told, the confusion was not lost. It was like a question. Where did the, where did the sickness go? Where did the uncleanness go? Because it doesn't take like a global pandemic to tell us and to remind us that when a sick person comes into contact with a healthy person, the healthy doesn't wear off on the sick. It tends to go the other way around. If you have a child who's been throwing up all weekend and you come to church, don't bring them into the nursery and be like, hey, listen, I really need that kid to be around all these healthy kids so that the healthy will wear off on him or her. If you believe that there's a few churches up the road, I encourage you to, just kidding, don't do that. But like back then, they had this model and they're wondering like, where does the sickness go? Where does the uncleanness go? Because what they knew is what we know today is what we know is that when the, when the sickness or when the uncleanness comes into contact with the cleanness, what happens? Yeah, it just like, it spoils the entire thing. Just like that's what it is. Like Jesus, that's what happened. She touched you and now you're, you're, you're dirty and now you're tainted, you're unclean. Some of her shame got on you. what they noticed is something else happens. Is that when her uncleanness comes into contact with the, not just clean, but with the holy, it's like it touches him and it just it like doesn't go away. And some of you are like, how do you do that thing with the, it just, it didn't, it didn't. yeah, that's the point. How does he do it? How does Jesus do it? How when these things two touch, how is it so totally different? This is the power of the gospel that was so transformational to them. Is that answering this question, and actually Jesus, he hits it next, answering this question. Uh, what happens when the unclean, what happens when my ugly, what happens when my mess comes into contact with the divine, with a rightly holy God? Verse 48, and then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. It's put so mildly, daughter. There's so much more to it than that. Uh, Timothy Keller writes about this and he says, this is, is the only time that this word is used by Jesus. Daughter isn't just a term of endearment. It's like, it's a tender nickname that Jesus never used for anybody else. What happens when my holy mess comes into contact with the divine? Jesus says, daughter, son, Keller again says the, the closest word that would translate to it today was something like sweetheart. The girl who is unnamed in the story gets the name of a tender nickname. 
The girl who isn't allowed to be touched in the story has the arms, the same arms and hands that shape the stars in the sky wrapped around her. What happens when your mess comes into contact with the divine? Sweetheart, son, daughter. Again, coming back to the Brene Brown, I mentioned her earlier, this comes from uh, her book, Thought It Was Just Me, but it wasn't, in parentheses. You know, she writes, what do we need to overcome our shame? And I love how Jesus hits all of these. What do we need to overcome our shame? Number one, have our stories told. It's simply that we need to have our stories told because shame thrives in secret. I cannot tell you how many times I sat down with couples where an event has happened, a traumatic event has happened between the two of them, and it wasn't the event that got to them. It was like the hiding, the running, and the lying around that event was, that, that was so destructive for them. Having our stories heard, we assume that once we share our stories, there will be condemnation and judgment heaping all around us. There's often not. Among the people who love us and care for us, in the name of Jesus, we are met with love, and it's like that love robs shame of its power. Having our stories told, Jesus said, who touched me? I'm not going to let you run away with your miracle. The miracle was a sign. It points to something. It points to me. I want to save you and really save you. Number two is that we need to be reminded of gospel truth. There's a a story of a dad, not me. His two kids are in the back. His oldest is a little timid. He's taking them to an amusement park. And he's trying to, like, get his oldest psyched up because he knows she's really nervous about it. He's going, like, honey, uh, like, you don't want to miss out. You know, you're going to regret this later. Like, like try, to be, try to be courageous. Try to put on a brave face. Like, you'll, you know, you'll thank me later. And it got, it got to her daughter. It got into her heart. It seeped in that shame, right? And she goes, I know. And she puts her eyes down. And she says, I know I'm nothing but a scaredy cat. And it was her little sister sitting next to her, three years younger, looks over at her and goes, no, you're not just a scaredy cat. You're my big sister. I love that. That's gospel truth. Gospel truth is not trying to like work our way up to God, is to clean ourselves up and make better decisions. No, no, that's hopeless perfectionism. That's what shame does. What gospel truth is, is God saying, no, no, you don't work your way to me. I've worked my way to you. I've made this, I've given you an identity. And now your job for your life is to simply live into that identity that I've given you little by little all the way. And you need to be reminded of gospel truth, daughter, son. And the last one is that we need to be restored into a community. I wonder about the, like Luke, you know, he, he shares this story once. They would retell it over and over in their communities. This church in Jerusalem, and they would get to Luke chapter 8 or, or in Mark where it's also told, and you get to the story, and it's like there was this woman, right, and she was ostracized. She was pushed out of the community, and, and, then, she, and then she became in. And I just wonder if sometimes there was a gathering like this one, and a story was being told, and she stands up at some point and says, that was me. That's my story. I'm right here. I have a name. My name is Sweetheart. My name is Daughter. I was on the outside of the community before he brought me in. He gave me this new identity, and little by little, I'm living into it. and finding about, about what it means more and more every single day. I found out that I'm not what shame tells me that I am. I am not defective. I am not damaged. I am not disgusting. It's shame that tells me that I am weak, that I am worthless, that I am unwanted. 
What I found out is that Jesus told me, I am forgiven, I am free, I am made brand new, I am blessed, I am chosen, I am changed, I am a child of God in the name of Jesus. He did that for me. And he does that for you too. And that community that she was restored into, they didn't even have a word for it yet. But it would soon, it would be called the church. And that church would be a collection of broken people because that's the only kind of people that there are. Is that God saves broken people only because it's the only kind of people that there are. And the church, it isn't a, it isn't a country club for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And he says, you are welcomed in this place, not because you're perfect, but exactly because you're not. And in this community, there is all kinds of hurt. There is all kinds of shame. People who have escaped out of the throes of abortion, of pornography, of substance abuse, of physical abuse, being on the receiving end of emotional abuse, verbal abuse. And what I am struck with again and again is that saying that God often uses our areas of deepest hurt for our areas of greatest ministry connecting with one another. So we own our shame. We share our stories. We're reminding each other in life together of gospel truth. And we are restored into this weird and wonderful gospel community. When you hear an accusing voice of shame makes you want to run and hide, Listen in a little closer, and you'll hear the voice of Jesus. My son, my daughter, sweetheart. Stand up and let's pray together. So God, a lot of us have been carrying this thing around for a long time. And we don't know entirely what to do or where to run with it. Maybe we've even tried to talk to somebody in the past. God, I ask for the courage this week, maybe even today, right now, this afternoon, to offer up that story one more time of the hurt, of the hang-up, of the habit we've been carrying around, God, and I ask that we pray that to you and we receive your promise of a new identity, a new life. God, I pray that as these stories continue making their way around our community, that we don't overlook them that we don't even think that we've overcome them, but they are simply stories to be used as tools for your glory, building each other up, Jesus, in your name. And it is in your resurrected name that we pray, amen.